0: It truly is a privilege to have you with me once again, whether you're watching by DVD, listening by CD. I I believe that the subject, the amazing love of God, it really is amazing. You know, uh, the love of God is a key. You know, we need to learn to major in the majors. I I tell you, the love of God is a major. The Bible says, as we shared in our initial session when we laid a foundation uh, for this whole series, that. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 20, that when you start to enter into the love of God, to see his heart towards you, to I, I mean to see the price that he paid for you, just to, to see your self-worth in the context of the price that was paid for you and to understand if you were the only person that would have ever sinned, Jesus Christ would have came, taken flesh, been born of a virgin, I, I, I mean died, the, the, the death he died, just for you. And that means so much to me. And then I had somebody share this with me and they said, you know what? He would have died just for you if you were the only one, but with no guarantee that you would have accepted him. That's the love of God. The love of God is, it really, it surpasses our understanding. The Bible says when you start to enter into the love of God, it causes you to be filled with the fullness of God. You see, the love of God is the key. And it's the goodness of God that leads us under repentance. It's the goodness of God that causes us to want to follow him. It's the goodness of God, that the love of God, the Bible says, that casts out all fear. So I tell you, you're in the right place listening to the right message at the right time. Praise God. Amen. The love of God, the amazing love of God. I alluded to this in our our initial session, and I I want to uh, reiterate this again. Uh, There's a song at the time of this recording called The Reckless Love of God. And and, and in the context of the the word reckless, it just means God is just in utter abandonment and and just trying to cause you to come really to himself. I I mean, there's really no mountain too high, no river too deep. uh, He's pursuing you. Glory to God, it's amazing. And at the time of this recording, I mean, this one song has received 26 million hits, I I believe on YouTube, 26 million. And most of those that are playing the song over and over again are those between the ages of 14 and 28, the younger generation, the upcoming generation is hungry for the love of God. You know, the devil overplays his hand really with his humanism and, and his, what he calls freedom, which is a lie. You know, do have all the sex you want, do all the drugs you want, be whatever you want, you know, whoever you want. And I want to tell you something. Deep down, I, 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 really, I really believe there's a revival coming in this generation where the devil has overplayed his hand. And deep down, they're saying, I want to know the love of God. All of us, no matter what your age, it's time to pursue the pursuer. It's time, glory to God, to pursue the revelation of the love of God, the amazing love of God, the reckless love of God, the, the, the heartfelt love of God. Glory to Jesus. All right. Now, uh, in this session, we're, we're going to look at, at, at three areas, I, I believe, that are going to be so strong. We're going to look at God's love in the context of, of His delight in you. We're going to look at God's love in the context of the needs that he has. Hallelujah. Oh my gosh, for you to know him, to experience koinonia with him, to enter his image. And then we're going to look at the love of God in the context of vulnerability. I believe each of these segments, each of these variables that we just described, I believe that they're going to be, that they will be life-changing. But before we enter in, to what the love of God biblically correlates with, I I want to preface my sharing by saying this. Religion. I see a lot of people don't know the difference between religion and relationship. Religion really is a creed, a dogma, a set of rules that teaches you about God and tells you you have to do this, this, and this to have relationship with God. But the gospel is a gospel of relationship. It's not religion. It's not teachings about God. It's relationship with God. Hallelujah. There's a big difference, a tremendous difference, life and death. Jesus Christ is all about relationship. And religion is that, really, religion will disconnect you from relationship because you'll get so caught up in auras and candles and creeds and dogmas and mantras that, that you really don't see the one true God. Really, religion is that which separates. I'll never forget a story that Oral Roberts shared. I was at a conference. I was a younger Christian decades ago, and he was speaking at a greater charismatic conference at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And he said that he was sharing just what I just shared with you, the difference between religion and relationship. And he said that there was a certain group of businessmen and they, got, they they brought together these theologians uh, to his state, the state of Oklahoma. And uh, he, they gave them over a million dollars to answer a question. And here's what the, the question was. And the theologians thought it was a great question and actually had difficulty in answering it and never came up with a definite answer. And the question was this. If there was an elderly woman who had a purse with valuables in it, and she was sitting in in, in a train station, and uh, she dropped her uh, purse, uh, and she was unable to obtain it, to to procure it, to bring it back to where she was sitting. Would God have someone help her? Would he provide in a definite manner, I mean 100% of the time, would he help her get her purse back? And I'm thinking, you know, is one plus one two? Is God good? Is God love? I, I said, is and, and Earl Robert's went on to say, you know what? The theologians, I mean, they gathered day after day and they couldn't come up with an answer. They weren't sure in the sovereignty of God if it would be his will for her to have her purse back. They, they, you know, they went into all these theological terms and phrases and never did come up with an answer. That's religion, friend. Religion does not know God. But theorizes, has the, theologies in the context of what they think God is like. But they missed the mark. You know, the Pharisees were religious. The Sadducees were religious. The people that killed Jesus that are, were religious. Honestly, so many people that are religious, they are so self-centered, so egocentrical, I, antistical, I, I mean narcissistic. I know, honestly, it's all about them. But then they try to put on these long robes and take these you know, vows and do this and that. I'm here to tell you this. Jesus Christ wants to break the spirit of religion in your life, the spirit of religion in your family, the spirit of religion in your community, in your nation, and replace it with a revelation of himself and of his love towards you. All right. Now let's enter into our our, our first segment, love in the context of God's delight. You know, when Jesus was baptized in in Luke chapter 3, He came out of the water and and, and the father spoke and said, this is my son in whom I delight. In Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, Matthew 17, accounts of the transfiguration. Again, the father spoke of his pleasure, of his delight in his son. Now, you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, everything. See, we went over in our initial session, John 17, 23, where the Bible says, Father, God loves you. As much as he loves his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. Obviously, you can't compare to Jesus and his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience. But you can compare to him in the context of the Father's heart towards you. It's amazing. It's simply amazing. In Psalm ninety-one fifteen, God says, I will honor you. I will delight in you. Go with me to Psalm 8. I shared this prior, but this to me is an amazing psalm. And so many people honestly, they really don't understand it. It's just an amazing psalm. And Psalm 8, as we shared in our initial session, David was looking up into the sky and just seeing the, I mean the amazing glory really of the solar system, of the stars. And he he says what what am i in the natural i, I mean why would god even consider me and, and this is exactly what he says when i consider the heavens the work of thy fingers the the moon and the stars which thou has ordained what what am i what is man that that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou would ever even come to visit him but then god answers And here's what God says to him. I I tell you, you know, God will answer your questions. And God comes and says, yet, whoo, I have made you. And some translation says, but thou has been made a little lower than Elohim. Elohim is the Hebrew word. It's amazing. You know, the the word, it's a singular plural. It, it, It conveys Trinity. He said, I've made you a little lower than myself, Elohim. Some translations says angels, but it's the Hebrew word Elohim. And I've crowned you as a king with glory, honor, and delight and dominion. You, You say, you're telling me that God delights in me? As much as he delights in his only begotten son, you gotta be kidding me. No, I'm just reading the scripture. It goes with John 17, 23, it goes with John 17, 26, it goes with 2 Corinthians 5.21. It goes with Ephesians 3.20. It goes with Psalm 8. It goes with Psalm 91.15. It goes with verses all throughout the Bible, scores of verses. Hey, delight means man, you just light God up. Delight means to be lit out by someone or something. My wife lights me up. She's amazing. My children light me up. Glory to God. My grandkids light me up. Glory to God. I, I tell you, those that I'm in covenant with that I can trust in the body of Christ. They light me up. I-, I I tell you what. You see, you light God up. The Bible says that you do something to God when He looks at you. I I I mean, it- it's just amazing. I- and someone says, "Well, well, how can that be?" You see. If you didn't light God up, if God didn't delight in you, then it would be impossible for him to love you as much as he loves his only begotten son. It would be impossible for you to be loved fully by him if he did not delight fully in you. In the book of Numbers, in chapter 14, again, we looked at it in the initial session. Man, Joshua and Caleb, they said, we see the giants. It looks like we're going to just be destroyed. But, notice that word but, when David said, man, who am I that you would even consider me? You would not even think of visiting me. God said, but I have made thee a little lower than myself, Elohim. But is that which negates that which has come prior. A lot of times, buts are are, are not good. We say, Lord, I know you love me, but. Lord, I I will do this for you, but. And and, in that context, we need to disclude our buts and enter into what has come prior. But God, glory to God, he negates the inferiority. He negates the, uh, the lack of revelation regarding who we are in the context of God's delight in us. He says, but. I've crowned you. I've made you a little lower than myself out of him. I've crowned you as a king. In Revelation 1, 6, God says, I've made you a king and a priest unto me. We're going to look at this. Wow. Glory to God. So we enter into a place of understanding God delights in you. And you might say, again, I, 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 it's hard for me to comprehend. You know, but again, don't you delight? and your, your wife, your children, your husband you, you know your mom and dad, your brothers, your sisters you delight in them you delight in them because there's something about them that just causes you to smile there's something about them that just it, it, they penetrate your heart man I can think of you know different, you know my wife, my children I say I, man when there's a smile there is a glory to them, really There is a glory to you. Man, in Psalm 16, the scripture says, let my glory rejoice. See, glory is correlative or synonymous with your spirit. Well, your heart is called by God. Your heart's the real you. And God calls your heart glorious. Now, we're talking about, you know, the person, you know, that hallelujah in the Psalms is talking about the heart representing the person that's sanctified by the blood of, of then of bulls and goats and lambs. But now it's the heart, praise God, has been born again. God sees you as glory. He's coming back for a glorious church, not a wormy church. He wrote to the saints at Rome and the saints at Ephesus and the saints at Galatia, not to the worms at Galatia and Rome and Ephesus. If we could only see how we light up God. If we could only see that there's no angel on the face of the earth that's been created that can delight God in a way that you do. There's something about you. There's something about the image that God has placed in you that causes God to gravitate to you, rejoice in you, delight in you. I mean, let's go to Zephaniah 3.7. I was going to go there, but I I need you to see this. I, 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 I don't know who's watching this or who's listening, but I can tell you saying, I don't know if I buy into that fully. Well, and, and, you know, God wants us to understand that we're just to receive the word, amen? In Zephaniah chapter 3, glory to God, it's amazing. Uh, there's just some amazing verses. It says in uh, Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, and he is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with dancing. He will rejoice over thee with singing. He will rejoice over thee with exceeding joy. He will rest in his love Oh, glory to God. He would, again, it says he will joy over thee with singing. He's saying, first of all, someone says, I, does God sing? What do you sing? What do you think you sing? Because you're made in the image of God. My, of course God sings. I, I believe when we get to heaven, he's going to put on a concert you're never going to forget. Does God sing what well, the Bible says he sings? But he say, it says he rejoices over you with dancing. Man, he gets so excited about you. I, I mean, someone says, Well, I, I didn't know that was in the Bible. But you see, a lot of times we don't enter into what's in the Bible because we read the Bible with religiously tinted glasses. Rather than reading them with the heart of a son, with the heart of a daughter of the king, we will we read it in the context of religiosity instead of as, as it is. He will rejoice over thee with delight, with singing, with dancing, with great joy. You see that in the prodigal son when he comes back. I mean, there's dancing, there's rejoicing, there's shouting, there's singing, there's great joy, there's delight. You need to know God delights in you. He has no greater joy than just to be with you. His greatest joy is to be with you. Just like he Delights in Jesus. Has a need to be with Jesus. He has a need to be with you. See if you get that one thing into your spirit. That the father needs to be with you. And fellowship with you. Even as he needs to fellowship with Jesus. It will change your life forever. It's not about you deserving it. It's not about you being in the category of Jesus in the context. Like we said of deity. Deity. It's about the reality of grace, of love, of what the gospel is. Right. Glory to God. Now, we're going, we're going to continue to, to, to enter into this. All right. All right. The second thing is needs. Someone says the very idea of God having needs. God's sovereign. Well, God is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he has caused himself to be who he is. And he has a need. He has a need for you to know him. Let's just look at this. Philippians 3.10. The apostle Paul says he gave up everything that he might know God, experience God, and then enter into just giving his life fully to God. Because he, he knew the heart of God. It was about knowing him. I mean, not just knowing him in your head, but knowing him to the point where you just know of his delight for you. You you know of his heart towards you, and you and it leads you into experience. Someone says, "How do I know if I know him?" True knowingness will always translate into experience. Philippians three ten, experiencing the power of his resurrection. Glory to God. Mm. Go with me to Mark chapter three verse fourteen. Mark chapter three verse fourteen. Jesus said, uh, oh, this is, this is so exciting. The, the Bible says that Jesus went up to a high mountain and he called those he wanted to be his apostles to himself. Now, how did he call them? Did he have a cell phone back then? No, he called them in the spirit. And they, they picked it up and, and those he called, they entered into where he was. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 3 Verse 14 uh, it, it's, it, it's just so exciting I tell you it gets so excited. I'm in the wrong chapter here But it's just so exciting The Bible says that He called them unto himself That they might know him That they might be with him And then that they might preach the gospel And cast out demons And heal sicknesses But you see he called them first to be with him. Glory to God. See, he didn't call them to do something. He called them to be with him. Glory to God. You're a human being, not a human doing. You're called to be with him and then do. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. I love it. I just got to read it again. Called them unto himself and they came to him and he ordained them that they should be with him that they might know him and that he might send them forth to preach, have power over sicknesses and to cast out demons. Wow. See, this is the heart of God. God has a need for you to know him. Not to know about him, but to know him intimately. To to know that he will never leave you or forsake you. To to know that that he has a need for your fellowship. To, To know who he really is. You know, some people, you know, like the man with the had the one talent, the man with the one talent said, you know, you're, you're not good. You know, the master represented God, of course, and, and he left and he, he gave one, one talent, another three talents, another five talents. And then the man who had the one talent, what was called the unfaithful story because he, he hid the money and, and the master said, representing father God, he said, why'd you do that? He said, because you're someone that reaps where you don't sow. You're someone that's really unjust. You're someone that treats people in a way that's not right. You're, he said, you're really, something, like they said in the book of Numbers, which broke God's heart. They said, you know, you brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us, to have our wives be raped and our children to be uh, uh, kidnapped. He was just like them. That's spirits in the church today. And God, it broke his heart. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him in such an intimate fashion that you can never doubt Him, even in the time of trial and challenge, in the time of persecution. He has a need for you to know Him. Glory to God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, the Bible says this. The prophet Isaiah cries out, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. but he who boasts, let him boast in this, that he knoweth me, saith the Lord, that I am a God of loving kindness, of mercy, and of judgment. God said, yes, his goodness means his judgment. He will judge the evildoer for the sake of the children. He will judge the evildoer for the sake of the widow. He will judge the evildoer for the sake of righteousness. He will judge the evildoer for the sake of his name. But what I want you to understand this, it's not about the riches. It's not about the might. It's not about the wisdom. It's about knowing God that he is a God of loving kindness, of mercy, of righteousness, of glory. That's what it's about. Man, you could be the richest man in the world and if you don't know the heart of God, you're bankrupt. You could be the strongest man in the world but if you don't know God, you're weak. You could be the richest man in the world. Like I said, you're bankrupt. The the strongest man in the world but you're weak. The smartest man in the world. But you're not smart at all if you don't know Jesus. Do you see that God has such a need? for you to know him you know you those of your fathers and mothers grandparents and, and you know and maybe you're an aunt or an uncle what if your son your daughter your grandchild your nephew your, your, your niece they had a misperception of you and you loved them so much I mean you would die for them and, and for some reason that they were thinking that you were hurtful For some reason, they they were thinking, even though it's untrue, that you didn't really care about them. That you love someone else more than them. It would destroy you. You would have to have them know you. How much more is God in need of you to know him? That's why I'm so glad that, that you're seeking God by watching these videos, by listening to the CDs. It's all about knowing him. You can't experience him rightly. If you don't know him and you can't enter in, in all honesty, to serving him fully. If you haven't experienced him. To know him is to experience him. To know him is to love him. And the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. The more you know him, the more you know of his love, the more you'll be in freedom. And the more you'll love him. See, religious tries to make you love God. Man, if you don't love God this way, you know what I'm saying? And knock on so many doors and do this and don't and do that, you know what? You're not gonna be accepted by God. They make try to get you to love God, to make you love God. It's not about God making you love him, he will never violate your will. It's about him revealing himself to you, you entering into that revelation. And loving him commensurate with the revelation that you have of his love. All right. There's so much we want to get to. All right. God has a need to have fellowship with you. You know, in Philippians 2.1, let's go there. Uh, the apostle Paul is, is addressing some, uh, there, there's, there's been factions. There's disunity. Even though Philippi which was, was an awesome church, there was still some things going on that he had to address. And he says this, he talks about the rudiments of the faith in Philippians 2.1. He said, if there therefore be any consolation in Christ, any love in Christ, if there be any fellowship of the Holy Spirit, any mercy in God, then he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded and entering into, into unity. So he says, if there's any love in Christ, any mercy in Christ, any compassion in Christ? Of course there is. And then he says this is there any fellowship? It's the Greek word koinonia, K O I O N I A, koinonia, which means profound intimacy, profound fellowship, profound intimacy of relationship. There's almost, it's like there's almost no word, you know, for the word Abba. Uh, there's no words that act, can really accurately define it. it it's so uh, amazingly, infinitely glorious. And that's why they kept it really in the Aramaic. And then uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. They really, people think it's a Greek word or Hebrew. It really is Aramaic. It, it's there for, uh, you know, to stand out. There's the same word for koinonia. It, is there any koinonia with the Holy Spirit? See, God wants you to know him. He wants you to know God as your Abba Father. He wants you to know Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. As your groom. How, he wants you to know the Holy Spirit as your best friend, your comforter, the one you have koinonia with. Uh, it's amazing. Usually when, the, when it talks about you, utilizes the term koinonia, it's in the context of, of the viability of intimacy of relationship with the third person in the Trinity. Because he's the one that's now in you, manifesting Jesus. In fact, there's an amazing verse. I love it so much. It's in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians. See, a lot of people, when I share, they say, I've never heard of these verses. And you see, this is the verses we need to hear of. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. uh, Paul uh, is concluding uh, the book, and he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, all of us can identify with that. The love of God, the Father. We all can relate to that, can't we? But then it concludes by saying this. And the koinonia, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Oh, glory to God. Woo, hallelujah. I I love the Amplified. When it talks about koinonia, communion, it says the sharing of one another. The sharing together of one another between the Holy Spirit and you. You see, so many people, they, have, they don't even know the Holy Spirit's a person, let alone having this sweet, infinitely glorious communion, koinonia with him. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you need to enter into, uh, into what this says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean the unmerited favor of God, the divine ability of Jesus Christ. And you need to enter into the love of the Father. And you need to enter in equally to the communion, to the koinonia of relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know what's so sad is so many people when they hear it, they're hearing it for the first time. I'm here to tell you something. God Almighty is crying out, enter into the grace of the Lord Jesus, enter into the love of the Father, enter into the communion of koinonia with the one that's in you, the Holy Spirit. You see, God has a need for koinonia. Just like you have a need I mean, to be with your children. You have a need to be with your wife. I I, I mean, what what if you were dating someone, you're engaged to them, and they're in England, all right, and you're in the United States, and you get a letter from them saying, you know, I I really love you, but you know what? I I think it's good. I think I'm going to stay over in England. You just stay where you're at, and you know what? We'll still be, we'll be married. You'd say, what on earth are you talking about? Marriage entails relationship a marriage entails an experiential love uh, It entails koinonia it entails this sharing of one another the glory of relationship but yet here's how Christians that god is in heaven jesus is in heaven i'm not sure about the holy spirit who he is or what he is and you know what lord you stay up there and i'll pray to you and God's saying, I didn't die. I didn't send my son to die so I could have you be in, in one place and me and me in another. I died that I might not only be with you, but I might be in you and there would be no disconnect in any way, shape, or form. For the kingdom of heaven has come to the earth and the kingdom of heaven is all about the heart of the king. Experiencing glory to God. All right. Oh, there's so much here. Go with me to Romans eight twenty nine. The third thing we said, God has a need for you to be conformed to His image. Romans eight twenty nine. Oh glory to God! We shared about this in our initial session, but I want to accentuate this. Romans eight twenty nine says that Jesus died, that you might be conformed to His very image, Him being the firstborn among many brothers. I mean, that verse is just, wow. It is so out there in the context of its infinite glory that we look at it a lot of times just bypass it. But God doesn't want you to look at it. Glenn said he wants you to be immersed in it. Glory to God. Amen? He wants you to be immersed. See, God wants you to know him, experience him. He wants you to be with him. He wants your greatest desire, your greatest joy to be with him. Even as his greatest desire and delight is to be with you. He wants you immersed. You know, we, we, oh, we have such a wrong connotation to the word baptized. Usually in the word baptized, when you see it in the Bible, has nothing to do with water. It has everything to do with immersion. Jesus said in Luke 13, can you be baptized with the baptism which I will be baptized with? He's not talking about being done three times. I'm not trying to belittle water baptism with something every believer should have enter into. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. Certainly we should. But I'm here to tell you this. We need not to glance at God's need for koinonia with you, for you to know him. For, for you to be conformed to his image. God has a need for you to be conformed to his image. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. He, he has a need. I, I gotta share one more thing. My time's limited, so I, I gotta go quick, but I'll never forget I was dealing with a situation at the counseling center we have. And there was a, um, a young man, he, he was brilliant. Be honest with you, he was first in his class. And uh, his family were—they were poor, good parents, loved God. And there was another family; they were not Christians. I'll be honest with you—they were—they were ungodly. And uh, their son was friends with with this young man I'm talking about who who was number one in his class. And uh, he started spending a lot of time over his friend's house. I mean, they had things that they could offer him that his parents could, not I mean, you know, a 52-inch screen on the TV and, oh, I mean, surround sound. And they had all the food he wanted, this, this, and that. And and then they began to take him on vacations. And then they actually said, we want you Really, just, just almost to be adopted by us. And he started to fall for it. And, and, and then what happened, his parents came to me. They were heartbroken. They said, he's our son. We got a need for him. And, and then I met with the son and he just wept and wept. You see, the, the enemy will try to get you away from the heart of God by giving you things. I'll give you this from the world and he'll give you this. He'll say, I'll give you this. Don't worry about quiet time. I'll give you this. Don't worry about sanctification. I'll give you, I'll give you sexual sin or I'll give you marijuana and, and cocaine. Don't worry about this. I'll give you this. It's all to keep you from having koinonia and experience the love of God. Jesus. All right. God has such a desire for you to be conformed to his image to be sexually pure, to enter into his humility, his love, his goodness, his kindness, his graciousness, his mercy, his perseverance, Oh, glory to God, his courage, his, you to give all to him. All right. Uh, we're going to go on now to the, uh, oh my, there's so much here, to the uh, aspect, of, uh, the segment of vulnerability. God wants you to know something. You know, if Jesus could just right where you're at, if he could just walk up to you, I mean, just appear to you in his glory and speak one thing to you, what do you think it would be? Well, well, let's make it a little bit easier. Let's say three things he could speak to you. I, I really, I want you to think right now, what three things would God speak to you if he appeared, I mean, just like I'm talking to you, I mean, you saw him face to face. What three things do you think he would speak to you? Uh, I'm just going to give you, I'll take a break. I'll either write a, get a piece of paper and a pen or pencil and write those three things down now. I'll give you a few seconds. Or just think about them right now. What three things would he speak? Most people would say, you know what? I, I think he'd tell me, you know, how unworthy I am. I think he'd tell me how much I need to shape up. I, I, I think he'd tell me, you know, maybe, you know, about this or this. You know, the three things. I think he would tell you most is he, he, he loves you as much as he loves his only begotten son. Then I think he would tell you this he needs your love. It's not an option, he craves your love. And lastly, I think he would tell you that he is vulnerable to your actions. You can either hurt him or minister to him. And see, most people, when they're facing a trial, they don't think of that. I'll never forget. I lived in, I don't think that, you know, the place was real bad where I grew up, but it was it was tough. There was a lot of drugs. And one of my very best friends was a drug dealer. And I, and he got shot to death right after high school. He went from a low level dealer to medium and he, he got shot to death. I mean, he lived right about about six houses up from me and two houses up from me. One of my best friends, he got murdered right down the street. Uh, Another one of my friends, man, his dad got shot to death. Another one of my friends got shot. Another one of my friends got, uh, um, it wasn't a good deal shot in sixth grade. And then, you know, and then through high school. But my my mom, she looked at me, she had spinal bifida. She knows she's only got a year or two to live due to the complications from the spinal bifida. And it, it took her life. And she looked at me with her big brown eyes. I'll never forget it. She had bed scores so bad. I mean, I you know, were bandaged up, and I had to change them because we couldn't afford a nurse. My dad was working 3 to 11. And, man, I mean, you just could see right inside her legs. I mean, I hate to think about it, but in one way, I'm telling you because our relationship was so close. And I loved her so much. And we had a real close relationship. And she, she looked at me. She said, Michael, it was the uh, end of my sophomore year in high school, and I was getting a little bit of trouble. And she said, I, 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 look at me. Look in my eyes. She had the biggest brown eyes. And she said, I just want you to do this for me. Never, ever, never enter into drugs. Never enter into running with this crowd. And I, I want you to do right. And, you know, there was times, man, hurt people hurt people. And I did do some things wrong, but I never did drugs, one, because there was drugs always around me because she needed morphine and everything else just to live. But there were times I was tempted. But I overcame the temptation not because I wanted to be religious. I overcame the temptation because of the glory of her eyes, which represented her heart. It was about relationship. You see, God God will do almost anything to show you how vulnerable he is to you. And that's what the word of God's about. It's to show you the heart of God. In Ephesians 4, uh, you know, 30, it it says that do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieve means to hurt in a very profound fashion. How can you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is in you. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says he was joined. The Lord is one spirit with him. See, you can't sin and just separate yourself from the Holy Spirit. It affects him. It grieves him. When you don't desire to have Cordonia with him, and you want the world more than him. It affects him more than you could ever dream. You know, because I'm an older Christian, I I certainly don't know everything. I certainly am still growing in this area and have great need to grow. Even as I'm talking to you, I see my need. But I've seen the hurt of God. I've shared this with different times in, in different series, but I want to reiterate it here. I was called to minister to a young man. His granddad was a pastor in a church in State College where Penn State is. In Pennsylvania, most people think Penn State's just, you know, just huge. But and in, in, you know, and it's, but it's somewhat rural. It's not city, and and he was on the outskirts of State College, and really, it was really out in the middle of nowhere. Had this little church, and this little white building, white church, and uh, the young man came in. He didn't want to be there anymore. And the man on the moon, he was having, a, he was in sexual sin with with his girlfriend. And the granddad asked me to try to get through to him. Well, I I shared the different verses, you know, about how it being wrong and hurting the heart of God. He just basically laughed at me. He said, "You, you don't understand this generation. You don't understand me, and you're judging me and this and that." And I'll be I'll be I'll be real honest with you. I was about to ready to give him the, the left foot of fellowship, and uh, you know. And I said, "God, I'm out of here. I drove two and a half almost three hours to get here, and, and man, this kid doesn't want to be here more than a man in the moon." So. I, I'm about ready to get up, and I said, I said, we're going to pray before you leave. And, and I, I just sensed the presence of Jesus to my left. And I know, I, honestly, I would never, ever have expected what, I saw the face of Jesus, but it was in a contorted fashion. It was like he was in pain. And I thought, what on earth? And, and I looked, and then I thought, what's going on? And then I just sensed his incredible pain. Due to the sin of this young man, and I didn't say anything because I don't, I don't, I don't try to manipulate. I, I, people have to see it for themselves. You've got to get the revelation yourself. I, I'm a teacher of fivefold ministry apostolically, <clears throat> in the context of sonship. But the bottom line is this: you've got to get it yourself. I, 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 I you know, teaching enables you to enter in as a grace to do get it in a way that's awesome. But you still have to get it. I didn't say anything and he ran down he was sitting I I was sitting on the altar he was in the front he ran down right in front of where the face of Jesus was and just wept and wept and wept and he didn't see the face of Jesus but he sensed his presence he said Lord I will never I will never hurt you again like this he went over and he he told his girl he said this is is not who I am Jesus is first in my life and this, this young man is on fire for Jesus Jesus, in Hebrews 10, it talks about not doing despite unto the Spirit of grace. Notice the scriptures about koinonia are all in the context of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are regarding do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do not do despite unto the Holy Spirit, which literally means to harm. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not forbid to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. That's one of the ways you do quench the Holy Spirit. The biggest way you quench the Holy Spirit is not letting him minister to you the reality of the awesomeness of Jesus so Jesus can be your Lord. All right. There's so much in the heart of God. All right, here's what we're going to do in our our last 20 minutes or so. I I want you to go first of all to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea. You see, the prophets in the old testament there were 3 ministries there was the office of the king who ruled there was the office of the priest and the priest he he offered up the heart of man to god then there was the office of the prophet who who really manifested the heart of god to man Glory to God and God is, you know, we are kings and priests unto God and God is calling for our prophetic church to show forth the heart of God. I, I love the verse, glory to God, regarding Elisha. Man, when uh, Naaman, you know, went to the king and said, you know what, I heard, you know, from this little damsel, this little girl that uh, that we captured when we went into Israel, that there's a prophet in Israel and man, if he prays for me, man, I'm going to be healed. So the king sends word to the king of Israel and says, you know, I pray Pray for Naaman that he might be healed. And the king represents the religious man, the the man that, you know, uh, the the false doctrine of sovereign. He says, who am I, uh, who am I God to heal, to make sick, or to do this and that? And then Elisha gets a hold of it and he said, let him know that there's someone in Israel that knows the heart of the living God. Bring him to me. And bottom line is that Naaman was healed of his leprosy. You need to be a person that causes people to know the heart of God prophetically. You need to be a person who walks in dominion in the context of the kingly anointing. You need to be a person as a priest unto God to minister to his heart. All right. So much, so much. Oh, that's part of koinonia. I was going to save that for another time, but, and I will get into this in greater depth, but I want you to see in the context of koinonia, the reality of uh, the kingly anointing, the priestly anointing, and the prophetic anointing. All right. In Isaiah 1, uh, you know, the prophet Isaiah, I, I, I mean, he, he he shares, you know, in Isaiah 1, that your your sin is, is hurting the heart of God. You, you know, he goes on, he, he says, you know what? I, I mean, even an ox knows his, you know, where he needs to go, but man, you're so far from God, you, you don't even know what's right and what's wrong. Uh, Isaiah, You know, the Bible says he walked naked for three and a half years uh, in humiliation. Why did he do that? And first of all, that's in the Old Covenant. God doesn't need to do that now. Amen. The Spirit of God is here. All right. You don't need to do that. God doesn't need to see your naked. He he doesn't need to see your fruit of the looms. He needs to see your fruit of the Spirit. Amen. But so this is Old Testament, not New Testament. But the bottom line is this, in humiliation. Why? Why? You see, Israel knew what the prophets stood for. Not just to give words prophetically, that was part of it, but to show the heart of God. And he said, God is weeping. God's heart is grieved because you've thrown off the robes of righteousness in exchange for sin. You're naked, you don't even know it. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what the apostle John conveyed in the book of Revelation? You're naked and you don't even know it. You're blind and you don't even know it. Isn't that the lay of the sea in church? The church age we're in now of lukewarmness? God is so vulnerable. So Isaiah cries out. You see it through the whole book of Isaiah. And then in Jeremiah, he was called the weeping prophet. Man, we need people to weep. Stop playing church. Evan Roberts, you know, uh, he was a young man, I I, I mean, in his early 20s, and and he brought revival to the Welsh Revival, one of the greatest revivals ever on the earth, which, you know, entered into causing the Azusa Street Revival, which, you know, in the United States, glory to God, in Los Angeles. And he tried all his fancy preaching. He tried all his techniques. He tried this, and he tried that, and they just laughed at this young man. Man, the, the coal miners, and uh, they were so tough, and they would just go work in the coal mines and drink and immorality. And one day he just went into Times square. He put away his fancy preaching, his fancy teaching, and just started to weep for the souls. And, and people just began to gravitate. They began to weep. They began to weep for repentance. And hundreds of thousands came to Christ. Jeremiah would weep as he shared. Jeremiah 3, one is an exemplification of what he shared. He says this. They say if a man uh, put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's and returns unto him again. Should not this land be greatly polluted but thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. And yet you return again to me says the Lord. He's saying this. God Almighty isn't some God, religious God. He's not a God of wood, stone, plastic, something you put on your dashboard. He said, man, if you're married, you come home and you find your wife with another man and it breaks your heart. Yet you enter into adultery with the world. And then you come back ask forgiveness like it's really no big deal, and you go out and do it again and again and again and again and again because you never see who God really is and the vulnerability of His heart. I hear the way for victory over pornography, the way for victory over selfishness, the way for victory over any sin is seeing the heart of God and how much He. Need your righteousness. Man, if someone you love enters into adultery, if someone you love enters into heroin addiction, and and, and, you know, and they're just saying, you know what? And sometimes someone's entering into heroin addiction, they don't even know they're entering into it. I mean, kids that are 13, 14 years old, and they just try, don't know that they can get addicted one time. So you need to be careful not to judge. But if someone's choosing drugs over relationship, it breaks your heart, man. It breaks your heart. Jesus' righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom, Hebrews chapter 1. So we see this in Isaiah. We see it in Jeremiah. We see it in all the prophets. We see it, to me, in the most profound way in the book of Hosea. Go there with me, if you would, in the book of Hosea. There's so much here. Let's just, for time's sake, we're just going to go to chapter 3. Again, Israel knew what a prophet did. They knew what the job description was. And in the time of Hosea, they were in tremendous sin. I I mean, they were in great sexual sin of virtually every kind. They were in selfishness. They idol worship. I, I, I mean, some of them were even offering up their children to the God of Molech. And it was just, it was horrendous. And God says, how am I going to reach them? How am I going to reach them? Let them see my heart to the prophet Hosea. Hosea was a righteous man. He was the most eligible bachelor, you know, in in his time. And God says this. Listen listen to it. Then said the Lord unto Hosea, Go, love a woman, love her fully, even as a friend, even her who is in in adultery. According to the love of the Lord, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, who are in adultery and acting as whores, even as she is. And it goes on in verse 3 and says, thou shalt abide, do this for me many days. And it goes on to say that even when she's in whoredom, continue to love her. Listen to me. She had children by Hosea. He loved her. A lot of people think her name was Gomer. That he was actually engaged to her. And she went away and chose sin over him in in their youth. And she ended up becoming the public whore. In those days, prostitution. She was one of the main public whores. And he loved her. And she was doing okay for a time. Had children by by her. But then she went back into whoredom. Sin is not rational. And God says, continue to love her. Because even as Israel, which represents you and me, is acting as whores regarding me. Someone says, you shouldn't say that. That's too much. No, we need to say it. Because you need to see the heart of God. You know, it's so amazing to me. I was at a mission convention. And a missionary was talking about kids dying because there wasn't enough money to, to give them food. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't resonating. He could tell it, I could tell it. It's almost like, let's just get on with it. And he just said, you know, I don't think anybody gives a damn about what I'm saying. And everybody went, oh! They cared more that he used the word damn than the kids that were dying that he was trying to convey than what it meant to the heart of God. It's time that we wake up And what gets to you when someone says the word damn or when you act like a whore and hurt the heart of God and have no revelation of it? That's what's going on in the days we're living. Amen It's not time to say You know what God understands your whoredom It's time to say Quit looking at yourself And look at the father's heart Get delivered through his heart And enter into the relationship he died for That's the gospel Not God accepts you in your whoredom Yeah he loves you in your whoredom But God has died to deliver you from your whoredom And his need for intimacy with you We're talking about the love of God See if God didn't love you then your sin would not hurt him. Your sin penetrates him, hurts him to the degree that he has need for your love. That's why he can't stand lukewarmness. You say, well, I love God. I go to church on Sunday. God didn't call you to love him on Sunday and and, and be in sin and lack of days on the other six days of the week and not stand up and share the gospel. You say you're passionate. You're this, you're that. It's nothing compared to Jesus. You can read the book of Hosea. He continues to love her. And God says, I'm going to love you. But I'm going to love you so that you will come back to me. Not so you just can continue in your whoredom. But you can enter into true relationship." Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. I know this is strong. But look at me. If you're you're doing the video. Or just listen intently if you got the CD. This is not a religious game. This is a real relationship. The love of God. The reckless love of God. The amazing love of God. Makes God so vulnerable to you that everything you do affects Him. Deuteronomy thirty two ten, we shared on it in our initial session, and I, I'm accentuating some of the things that were shared. Says that you're the apple of His eye, in the Hebrew ishan, ishon, i s h o n. It's your retina. What happens? if you get your retina scratched man you scream don't you you say man you were man you were you were passionate man it was like you know you're you're hurting get your retina scratched and tell me if you're not going to scream get your retina detached and tell me if you don't have a need for it to be put back like it should be When you're separated from God through your rebellion and your sin and my rebellion and sin, man, it's like a detached retina in the context of of the heart of God. God, the retina, it it, it makes you vulnerable. God's so vulnerable. Let's do a few things. What I, I want to Share a few more things and then I want us to personalize this. Go with me to Isaiah forty-eight sixteen. See, someone says, why did God do that? I, well, I, I told you in the, in the context of Hosea, it was understanding the ministry of the prophet. And you have to understand they didn't have the Holy Spirit there like, like we do. He was giving them a visual that they would never forget. Man, these men... When, I, when Hosea went into the marketplace, man, he's trading with men who slept with his wife the night before. They saw his grief, his pain, because he loved her so much. And the whole time they see his pain, they know what God's saying. God's saying, look at me. Look at me. I was going to say this, but I feel like the Spirit of God is saying This. When you don't aren't in true relationship, when you don't understand the heart of God, you don't look directly in his eyes. When temptation came to me, I saw my mother's eyes. You want to enter into growing in Jesus? You want to enter into sanctification? You want to enter into holiness? You want to enter into passion? You want to enter into victory? Look in his eyes. Look in his eyes. When you're in worship when the Shekinah glory of God comes, don't look for goosebumps. Look for his eyes. When you're reading the word of God, don't read it like some recipe book to try to get you this or that. See the eyes, the heart of God with every verse you read. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, man says, we share the gospel In the face of Jesus Christ. Man if you share the gospel with somebody. And they don't see the heart of God. If they don't see. The amazing glory of God. Man you can share the four spiritual laws. Till you're blue in the face. But when they see. The glory of the love. That caused Jesus to die. That's when you're presenting the gospel. Isaiah 48, 16, I love the book of Isaiah, and it's it's a top of the Bible itself, first 39, first there's 66 chapters in Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible, first 39 chapters correspond to an Old Testament orientation, next 27 to a New Testament orientation, of course 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, there's so many things we could get into there, but Isaiah 48, 16, I I love the verse, I I just love it, I'm going to read it from the Amplified, God, again, is using the prophet Isaiah to convey his heart. And he says this, Behold, I have indelibly, glory to God, imprinted a picture of you on the palms of each of my hands so that you might be continually before me. I know that Jesus... In the palms of his hands, when you see him, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, you will see the the piercings in his hands, just like he showed to Thomas. But isn't it going to be amazing? See, here's what's amazing. I told you, if you want to grow in Jesus, look at his face, not at his head, not at his religious icons. Look at his face, because when you look at him, you can't help but love him. Here's what God does. God says I not only want you to know that when you look at me, that's how you live. But I want you to know and each of the palms of my hands is a picture of you. I want you to know you are continually before me. I want you to know that I am so obsessed with you, passionate about you. I, 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 you know, immersed in you. You mean so much to me. When I look at my hands, someone says how God, how God could do that at one time. Obviously he can do it at one time because he's God. I've shared this before. The molecular structure, the quartz crystal, I mean it vibrates, you know, 7.2 billion times a second. If God could only, I mean, look at, you know, every person on the face of the earth, according to what he created, man, he could think a thought towards you, uh, uh, you know, every second. Uh, Surely you're continually before him. You're going to see a picture of yourself. When you see him, the Bible says he's going to serve you at the the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going to say, no way. And he's going to serve you. You're going to say, God, I, why? And God said, I just want to show my appreciation for you. And you're going to say, seriously? I would be in hell without you. And then you're going to look at the hands of the servant, and each person's going to see a different, and you're going to see a picture on his hands of you. Why? Why? God wants to give you a visual. Just like Hosea gave Israel a visual, of vulnerability. He wants to let you know it's all about you. He wants you to know he needs you to be continually before him to the point where he has a picture of you in each of the palms of his hands, his nail-scarred hands. This is the real Bible. This is the real gospel. This is the real Jesus This is the real love that's yours. Lastly, please, personalize this. If you ever get a revelation of Isaiah 48, 16, you would never backslide again. And neither would I. Personalize it. When you seek God, ask Him by the Holy Spirit to give you the revelation of these realities that we've just talked about. Ask Him to help you personalize the reality of His delight in you. Man, hear Him say, I delight in you. His voice is there. He's not going to say, I condemn you. He wants you to hear what He's saying. It's not that God's not speaking. We've got to listen. Incline your ear, as Proverbs 4 says, to hear. The glad tidings of his love. Second, he wants you to personalize. Man, his need for you to know him. And if he has a need for you to know him, do you not think he will cause his spirit to cause you to know him? Through the word of God, through his voice, through faithful ministry, uh, glory to God, through glory to God. Know of his need. For you to have koinonia with him for you to experience the very glory of his presence. Fellowship, communion, koinonia. I, I can't even convey what that means. Know of his need to con- for you to be conformed to his image. Let that be your destiny. Not a position in the church. Not getting something from God. Receive his image. You have everything else. Enter in. Personalize the reality. Of the impact you have on God. I I, I tell you. He can't live without you. He needs you. If you can grieve him. If you can harm him. If you can quench him. How much more. Can you minister to his heart. In Acts 13, it says the early church, there were pastors and prophets and apostles and, 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 man, they came together to get direction, but first to minister to the heart of the Father, to minister to the Lord, it says. We need to minister to Him first before we even say, God, minister to me. Because it's our greatest privilege, yeah, Zephaniah three seventeen says, he sings for you, he sings over you, he rejoices over you, he dances over you he's he's just amazed by you in the sense that, wow, you know, look at not just look at what I created, but wow. Look at my sons and daughters and how they love me. I just want to pray at this time. Man, if you're saying, man, I, this is kind of wild, but I want it. This is kind of out of the box, but I love it. See, this is, what, this is the only thing that's going to satisfy your heart. Religion's not going to satisfy your heart. Getting in ankle deep or knee deep or weight deep, it's not going to satisfy your heart. Just pray this with me right now. Say, Father God, through the blood of Jesus by grace, cause me to be immersed in your delight. Cause me to be immersed in knowing you, having koinonia with you, being conformed to your image. Cause me to be immersed, say it with me. Cause me to be immersed in your vulnerability to me. Cause me to see the nails in your palms and a picture of myself before you. Even as you, God, have a need for me to be continually before you cause me to have a need to be continually with you.